This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. On the TVs as well will come our Bible reading for the day. John chapter 21, if you want to follow along in your Bible. I have chosen the New Living Translation. It will be on the television behind me if you would like to read along. John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Don't you like that they hung out and gave each other nicknames? <laughs> Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Come on, somebody. That must have been a good day at work. And then the disciples who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. you got to love them fellas. I don't know many men that fish naked, but that had to be a bunch of good fellas, right? Thank God I wasn't there. So he put on his tunic. <laughs> he jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of his disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus Serve them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the Bible. I pray it find good ground in our heart today. And as I always like to say, May that which is of my own opinion, may we be wise enough to chew the meat and spit out the bones. But that which is of you, let it find good ground in our heart. Let us become mature Christians because of it. In Jesus' name. And will you shout amen? amen. You may be seated if you don't mind. 
Thank you again to all the kids that did our uh, Christmas party and Christmas play today. It was wonderful and everybody involved in the production. We're in the middle of a series called Who Am I? It was very intentional to do this. We're seven weeks in on who we are in Jesus Christ. Here's the thought and then I'll jump right in. Uh, we've been trying to figure out what does it mean for my humanity to be in Christ uh, how do I connect with Jesus in my life and what does that even mean? I'll tell you what God put on my heart as this will be the last time I minister in a sermon at the end of the year. And so I've just been praying about what to say. My typical week goes this way. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, my brain is pretty much slammed with studying for the book of Genesis. And then I teach Genesis on Wednesday night. And I wake up Thursday and I try to have a day where I just don't do anything mentally. I usually try to golf with my dad and several fellas, which makes my mental life worse as I lose 500 golf balls and I'm terrible at it. And then on Friday, I start with, okay, I've got to speak again on Sunday. And I just start asking God, give me something to say because my heart is whatever I say. I want it to be meaningful, but I want it to come from what I think would be the heart of God to share with you so we can all grow. And as I was driving down I-20 headed this way, the passage I just read leapt in my heart. And I just knew no better way to close the year than to share this passage of scripture with you as it relates to who we are in Jesus. And I hope it blesses you. And I, I pray that it inspires you as it did me as I kind of worked it out over the last few days to make it meaningful for all of us. But here, here's the question at hand. Every religious sect has what it wants from me. In my years of study, um, I studied a lot of religions uh, in my training. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Communism, Marxism. I, I did. I studied all the isms. Uh, I had to read the Quran as part of my training, so I had to read the whole Quran. And, um, so I feel like I've had enough, enough study throughout the years of God and Jesus and Christianity and religions that I've come to the conclusion every religion, every religious sex wants something out of you. Whether it's to become one with nature, whether it's to become a better person, whether it's to become your own God whether it's to appease the shamans or whether it's to get the evil spirits off of you or whether it's to bring a, um, you know, something to the witch doctor. Every religion has the weirdness of what the leadership and what the people in charge think that God wants out of you. Uh, I was doing a mission trip years ago. I was in a little island in Panama and the girl... I think it was a girl, if I can remember. It's been years ago. But it was a small child, about two years old. And the kid was dying, according to what we could tell with the people that were part of our team, was having an asthma attack. And so they brought us into the hut. And when I say hut, it was like Gilligan's Island, for those of you that were old enough to know that. It was the middle of an island. There's really nothing. It was all stick huts and hammocks. And um, So we walked into this hut to pray for this child. The, the deduction was the kid had asthma and all it would have taken was a puff of an inhaler from America or of some doctor and probably the asthma would have gone away. But the parent believed and was taught by their religion that anything that came from Western medicine was of the devil. And so the parents refused to let us treat the little kid that's dying 
because the witch doctor on the island said anything outside of the natural spirit world will not work on the kid. It will be wrong. So they had alligator bones, they had fish bones, and they had a little trinket of wood about this big under the baby's head. My heart was aching. My heart was praying that Jesus would heal them and my heart was praying, all we got to do is give her a puff or, you know, of an inhaler and the kid will probably be better, get on some asthma medicine. And parents just refused. And I, I started asking, well, what's all the bones? Why the bones? Why the little amulet? And they said, well, the bones are, it keeps the evil spirits off my kid. And then the little wooden figure that's under her head, they said the reason the wooden figure's under the head is that wooden figure goes down to the to the dark evil world and goes down there and fights the sickness and brings back healing and as I'm listening to all this play out my mind is just flooded with all the but Jesus but Jesus but Jesus and my heart hurts and so I don't ever know what happened to the child we prayed over the kid the elders of the village didn't really want us to do much and the witch doctors were doing their thing, but I, I, I know this to be true. Every religion, whether it's in the middle of a Panamanian village on an island, or whether it's right down the street at another church, or whether it's here, we all have this weird, what's expected of us to be approved and loved by Jesus, and what it means to be in love with Jesus. If we bring it home to America and to maybe Douglasville, Around every corner there's a church. Probably within every mile and a half to two miles there's another group of people. And in every group of people, whether we call ourselves Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, non-denominational, interdenominational, Pentecostal, whatever we call ourselves, it's almost a guarantee that within each little sect of religion there are the expectation of what it means to love Jesus. So that some people, if to really love Jesus, you shouldn't smoke, shouldn't drink, shouldn't chew, shouldn't hang around those that do. Other are, if, if you love Jesus, women shouldn't cut their hair, they shouldn't wear makeup, and they should never wear pants. And that everybody is juggling, what does Jesus really want out of me? Can I smoke a cigarette? Can I have a beer? Well, it just depends on what denomination you fit into. And then we argue over scriptures about what does he want out of us. You should read your Bible more. You should pray more. I can't believe you're a Christian and you don't pray every day. Oh, I can't believe you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible. I can't believe you're a Christian and you don't tithe. How could you not tithe? So that in every little sect we have the things that we label and check to whether we're good or bad people or whether we're closer or, or further away from God. And as you check the boxes, you kind of feel better about yourself. Like, I read my Bible, I pray, I don't cuss, I don't chew, I go to church at least three times a month, and, and we just feel good about it. And then the question of the day, though, is, I'm great with that, I'm great with checking boxes. I did it for years, good at it. I was raised Pentecostal, and in our church... Uh, boys and girls couldn't swim together. So when we had camp, the boys swam at two and the girls swam at three. That's so we wouldn't lust after each other. I didn't tell them we could lust after a tree. We're boys. But 
now you can't swim together. You get on the bus. The girls are in the back. The boys are on the front. We keep you separate. That was probably smart. But if we're not careful, we the things that are motivated to show love for God, I wonder sometimes in religion if they really are motivated by love. Or if we just do them because that's what we were told to do or because we're afraid or because we'll be in trouble or because, well, if I'm a good Christian, I shouldn't smoke a cigarette because a good Christian shouldn't. So I cut my cigarette and hide it when the preacher walks in. But yet I can still see the smoke above your head. But it feels better to cup it like God's gone, oh, he cupped a cigarette. Awesome. And so it just makes me wonder, what does Jesus want from us? What's he thinking? Because in the way I grew up, you can't watch certain shows. You can't go to R-rated movies. You, you need to turn the TV if it's dirty. I remember when my dad, we were kids, my dad took us to see King Kong. And I was with my friend Joey, and we were lined up on the back row with popcorn and Diet I don't know Diet Coke, then it's probably Tab. But uh, we were all sitting there, and then about five minutes in, they said the name of God in vain. You know, God, and then, you know, the name in vain. And so my dad said, get up, boys, we're out of here. And we all stood up and walked out, and my dad very gently said, I will not sit in a movie where they take the name of the Lord in vain. We're leaving. And we all left the movie. Now, I don't know if God was like, great job, Gene. I, I didn't feel great job, Gene. I'm thinking, I want to see King Kong. And then I'm thinking, I don't care if Jesus is offended or not. They've already killed him, and he rose up. Right? But everybody, parents and all, your parents raised you. You may take your hat off when you pray, but you're a jerk when it's back on. But that's the way I was raised. You give God respect. Okay, but when you put your hat back on, how about keep respecting people? But it's how I was raised. And so sometimes in the deep south of what we call religion, I wonder, is it really motivated by love or I just want to be a leader so I tithe because the only way I can be a leader is to tithe and so the things are motivated, and I'm doing them, but I really wonder, do I do them out of the right motivations? And does Jesus want this from me? So as we end the year, I want to just give you what I landed on this scripture. Let's jump in and see it. Verse 7, And the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic. I made a joke reading it, like, dude, what are you doing, fishing naked? Or what are you with all these guys? It didn't matter. He took his clothes, he jumps in the water, and he just starts swimming for all he's worth. He just passionately wants to be where Jesus is. He doesn't want to wait on his boys. He doesn't want to wait on the boat. He doesn't. I guess he's thinking, because there's so many fish we've caught, I can outswim what they can row. So I'm going to swim. I'm leaving all of them in the boat. And I'm going to passionately pursue Jesus. And so he just swims with everything he's got. i got to get there. I don't know why. It doesn't really tell us why. I'm just going to assume that he has this overwhelming longing to prove something to Jesus. That I'm the first here. I'm the first on the bank. I love you. I didn't ask you to walk on water. I dove in. I swam to you. Because I, I want to stand in front of you soaking wet to let you know I'm so glad you're here. So he jumps in the water, he swims to the shore. When he gets to the shore, they all are eating breakfast, everybody's there. I'm sure Peter's still dripping wet, I'm sure his hair's still all messed up. And then this weird topic takes place because Jesus says this, and this is the 
scripture. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter. And here's the weird thing. Why only Peter? You don't care that other people love you? Why do you single him out? Why are you taking the dude that swam to prove his love to ask him if he loves you? He says to Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and perhaps Jesus is looking at the 153 fish, looking at all the fish that are on. Do you love me more than all this, all these fish, your boat? Your, do you love me more than these? Maybe he was thinking, do you love me more than these, these other guys, these other fishermen, these other guys that call themselves a disciple? I don't know. It really doesn't tell us what the these are. But if I'm on the bank and there's a boat full of fish and there's 153 and somebody's counted them and there's all my bros with me and he says, do you love me more than these, then I guess he's pointing at all that. And Peter just gives the answer that every man would, yeah, I do. You know I love you. End of the story. We don't need to talk about it anymore. I don't need to say anything, and probably it doesn't say it, but I'm just going to think in his brain. I'll tell you why I think this in a minute. In his brain, though he said, yeah, you know I love you, I think in his head he's probably thinking to himself as a man. What do you mean do I love you? Three years ago, you showed up at my boat and you said, follow me, and I followed you. I left my boat. I left my family. I have walked this journey with you for three years, and you have the audacity to ask if I love you? Uh, of course I love you. Haven't I proven it to you that I love you? I followed you. I don't know if he said that, but in my head I'm thinking when he says, yeah, you know I do. I've been, I've been three years with you here. I've been up on the mountain with you, and I saw Elijah and Moses. Did you forget who I am? Case settled, let's keep on, don't worry about it, but not Jesus. Next verse, strange. Jesus repeated the question. I don't know, maybe it's because he's a man. Come on, ladies, that ought to give you hope. I already told him to pick his underwear up, and he didn't. It's because he's a man, he needs a second shot at it. Pick your underwear up. So Jesus says to Simon, I'm going to ask you a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I thought we settled this at the first moment. Why are you asking me again? Do you not trust me? Have I done something wrong? Have I, because at this time I'm thinking, what do you mean I don't love you? I walked on water. I was the dude that when you said, come, jumped out of the boat, and I, a human being, walked on water. Everybody else stayed in the boat, not me. I walked on water. Everybody's going to preach about me in the future. There's going to be more sermons talking about me walking on the water. And you ask me if I love you. If I didn't love you, I would have never gotten out of the boat. That should be the case settled. Okay, you're right. You followed me. You left your business. You left your family. You, you slept every night out on the field with me. You walked on water. Yeah, we're good, Peter but not Jesus. The next verse, it goes deeper. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now here's a thought. Either Jesus really has some kind of weird rejection issues. I just need you to tell me again. Come on, tell me again. 
Oh, tell me again. Oh, I love hearing it. Or Jesus is hoping everybody there is listening. Or he really has got something going on with Peter here that he's trying to maybe weave something into his life that he needs to know. So a third time, do you love me? This time, it tells us what's really going on because it says, and Peter was hurt. Now I know the brother's emotions are involved. You've asked me three times. I've given the same answer. And now you've just hurt my feelings that you don't think I love you. I'm standing here dripping wet. I left my boat and swam to shore. My hair is messed up. My wife is going to be mad that my tunic is now dirty. And she told me, don't you come home with it dirty. And I put it on and I'm going and she's going to be mad. And you want me to, do I love you? Do I love you? That's really where you're going here? Haven't I proven to you that I love you? And then that goes to bear. I think that is basically what a lot of Christian religion is. It's us trying to prove to him we love him. Well, if you love him, you need to go to church. Well, if you love him, you should read your Bible. Well, if you love him, then you should tithe. Well, if you love him, you should live better. If you love him, you shouldn't smoke. If you love him, you shouldn't watch that on TV. If you love him, you better turn Yellowstone off because he would not like you watching Yellowstone. And so there's this overwhelming, I have to prove to God that I love him. And I start having this overwhelming sense of, I want him to know that, that, I, that how much I care as I jumped in the water, I walked on the water, I left my family, I left my business to prove a point, I love you, and how dare you sit here and tell me now, do I love you? What more do you want out of me? Really, what more does God want out of you? Does he want you to come four weeks in a row to church? And when you do, he goes, yay, good. You're only coming three. Now you're coming four. Proud of you. Are you only giving him 5%? And so he's like, yeah, dude, not clapping. Five, you're a loser. I need 10. Give me 10% and then I'll clap for you. Okay, God, here's a 10. Oh, yeah. There you go. And then God goes, good boy. I love you, Mark. And there sits this weird story. It's not a weird story pre-resurrection. It shows up after Jesus is resurrected. It shows up after the whole thing is over. It shows up after he's come from the dead and defeated the devil. And now he's having these weird conversations about loving him. But to understand what's going on, you got to dive back into the story. And uh, let's see what it says. Here's... The response I wrote, of course I love you, Peter. I just jumped off a boat full of fish worth a lot of money and I swam to you. Here's the kicker. And everyone else stayed in the boat. I rarely hear anybody talk about the people who didn't jump and swim. And so the question becomes, here's, here's the scripture. I put it in pink because it resonated with maybe what's going on. And then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. 
So Peter hears this Jesus. Peter puts his clothes on, jumps in the water, swims for all he's worth, standing there dripping wet, going, here I am. You ought to be proud of me. I just left my bros back there with the boat, with all the fish, but I got here early. I got here early because I so love you. I got here early because I wanted to be impressed. I got here early because I wanted you to notice me first. I got here early because that's how much I love you, and I know I just want you to know that. I want. They're still rowing, but I'm good. They'll be here in a minute. Let's just me and you chat a minute alone. I don't know what's going on. But the guy writing the story says the disciple Jesus loved stayed in the boat. And it makes me wonder if Peter didn't jump in the water because he never settled Jesus really loved him. And he needed to prove something. Because the other guy's like, dude, I don't need to swim. I already know he loves me. Dude, I don't have to impress him. I already know he loves me. There's nothing I need to do. I know whether I get there in 10 minutes or 20 minutes, he loves me no more and no less than he loves me right now. And yet I think there's something in Peter that thinks if I swim harder and faster and get there first, he will love me more. And it's this weird gospel life story that this religiosity of checking boxes has this weirdness to it that feels like he loves me more because I try so hard. And though that feels right, it's the antithesis of the gospel. I told Robin, I said, honey, I don't know when I'll die. I'm planning on living a long time, but when I do, I just want you to write on my tombstone, he was a good man. I did not know several years later I would fall apart and not feel like a good man. But I was driven to be a good man. I don't cuss. I don't, well, don't want to lie. I don't cuss much and often. Unless I step and dog throw up while I'm barefooted in the house and then something rises up within that's not of God. It, it is of stammering lips and other tongues. Tasmanian devil spirit rises up within me. But for most part, I don't cuss. I don't slam doors, I don't holler, I don't scream, I don't smoke. I did a joint once in high school, decided that ain't for me. I don't know how everybody goes, it calms me down. And I'm like, no, it lit me up, the room's spinning. I'm like, the room is spinning. And I told God if he would stop the spinning, I would quit the smoking. He stopped the room, I quit the smoking. If I would have still kept smoking, I wouldn't be preaching today. Mama would have killed me. <laughs> she was Pentecostal. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm a good guy until I fell apart and didn't feel so good. Until I hurt people. I mean, I'm so good, like, watch something on the TV and I'm like, yeah, I don't need to. Oh, man, that's not good. Click, click, click. Because my mother... There's nudity. Turn it, turn it, turn it. Oh, mom, okay. Now I'm with Robin. She's like, there's nudity. Don't look. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? I mean, okay, okay, I won't look. All right, okay, I'm sorry. Click, click. 
Man, I'm a man. Okay, don't look. Well, how can you look? I can't look, but you can. Just turn it, turn it, turn it. And there's something when you turn it, Jesus is like, good job. So proud of you. You only look with one eye. Proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Mark, because you almost dropped the F-bomb, but you said freaking instead. <laughs> Love you. Love you. Prayed over your meal, didn't you? Won't even, you won't even eat the chips without praying over them. Most people are so ungodly, they don't even pray over the chips. They don't pray over the appetizers. Demons all over appetizers, they don't care. The food comes, they pray over the food. But you're so spiritual, you're so spiritual, you won't even eat an egg roll without praying. Anybody else do that? Like you don't even pray over the appetizer. It's like it's just cleansed. And then the regular food shows up. Maybe I had to pray. God, they could have spit on it in the kitchen. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But as I read this, it dawned on me that I think a lot of times we're so religious that we think those who swim must love God more than those who don't. And those who don't smoke must be closer to God than those who do. And those who come to church every week must love God more than those who don't. And those who read their Bible every day probably love Jesus a lot more than those of us who struggle to read it once a week. Because we're humans and we love checking boxes of how godly and religious we are when we're really broken, but the boxes are filled. But we've learned to live our life that I have to impress Him for Him to love me. Because how could He love me if I don't impress Him? How could he love me if I just stay in the boat and row and not try to make a statement? And so it brought this thought. Much of what qualifies as love for Christ is often nothing more than emotional guilt motivated by a fear of punishment. It's not that we do it because we love Jesus. It's we do it because the preacher said, if I don't tithe, I'll be cursed. And by God, I don't want to be cursed. I mean, I don't want, I got enough problems with the devil, much less being cursed. So uh, here's my 10%. I, oh, I don't, oh, God, I got to, I don't want to die some, throw my back out. I just need you to pray for my kidney. My kidney's acting up. You tithing? God ain't going to heal you if you don't tithe. Oh, yeah, I need, here's, I need my kidney healed. Well, you can't lead in this church if you smoke a cigarette. Now, we'll let a gossip and a glutton and somebody overweight that goes back to the buffet 20 times be a leader, but you can't smoke a cigarette and be a leader. You can be fat and be a leader, but not a cigarette. Because cigarettes are the devil. But eating too much fried chicken, that's godly. I mean, think about it. It's what we do. It's, it's, it's the things that are acceptable for us to do. Well, I'll watch PG-13, but not R. But I would watch an R if it's good, but I'll turn it off if I have to. I mean, I'll watch it, but I'll turn it off because I'm always keeping myself at earning, showing people how much I love him. I need him to know how much I love him. I have to prove it to him. So if you don't pray an hour, that was years ago, could you not tarry an hour? The answer was, no, I can't tarry an hour. I get about 10 minutes in, and I'm thinking about going hunting. I can't pray for How do you pray for an hour? How do people pray for an hour? Every time I stop to pray, I start thinking where my car keys are. 
Well, you just need to learn how to press in and press through. I'm pressing. I'm doing all I know how to do. And it's, I found out that a lot of religion, a lot of what we do is just emotional guilt. And if you want to know how powerful it is, just don't show up to church for a while and then show up and watch how many people start apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I hadn't been here in a month. Okay. You missed a lot of good preaching. But I love you. I'm so sorry we hadn't been there. Well, I am too, but... Because we're driven in religion out of guilt. How dare you love Jesus and not come to church? How dare you say you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible? How dare you claim to know Jesus and you still smoke? How dare you claim to know the Lord and you still hit a joint? How dare you? Because you can't love Jesus and still do that stuff. Check the box, erase the boxes, do everything to prove to, not to Jesus, but to prove to me how much you love Jesus. And I think when Peter's diving in, swimming, he's like, oh man, Jesus is going to be proud of me. And, and John's just like, he's already proud of me. Oh, Jesus is going to love me. He's going to see how much I mean to him and how much he means to me. Well, he's already come from the dead. I already know how much he means to me. He died for me. Now, here's the thing that hurts us, and it is hurtful, but it's a good way to end the year. If we start going around the room to Cameron, to Raya, to everybody in the room, and we start checking off the things you do to prove you love God. It's going to look like a cardiac machine. It's just going to be beep, 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 boom, beep, 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 boom, 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 beep, boom, 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 boom. There's just going to be people all over the wall. And we're like, all right, now, everybody that's up close to the ceiling, they're going to be our leaders and our elders. And everybody down there close to the bottom, we're going to have to get them coming to prayer meeting. They need help. That's okay. I have no problem with that, that some people are more mature than others and some people are further along in their journey than others and some people love tithing and some people struggle with it and some people would never, ever put tobacco in their mouth and other people are like, I don't have a problem with it. And then we argue, well, if you're, your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's so stop drinking Diet Coke. Right? I mean, if we really want to argue it, if we really want to argue what impresses him. But the hurtful thing, the hurtful thing is not the blips and the highs and the lows of our failures and successes and how religious we are. It's when someone stands up and says, Jesus loves all of us the same, whether you swim or whether you row. He doesn't love you anymore after you start tithing and quit smoking and quit drinking and quit carousing than he loved you before you ever even did a thing. He cannot love you anymore. You swim for all you're worth to prove it and you stand in front of him. He's like, boy, why'd you jump in? I don't love you anymore than I did when you were in the boat. But you think I love you more because you swam to me. I don't love you anymore because you swam to me. I love everybody in the boat the same, whether you row or whether you swim. And that is a hard thing to get as a religious person. 
because I need to know I've earned it. I need to know I'm special. I need to know he loves me because. And so the real question becomes, is your love for Jesus motivated out of a guilt? Well, I don't want dad to know. Well, I don't want mom to know. Well, I, I just, oh God, I don't want the preacher to know. Or is what you do motivated I do it because I know he loves me. He doesn't love me. Here's weird. He doesn't love me because I'm up here preaching going, now that Mark. Mark. Oh, Mark. I loved you about like that. And then I heard you preach. Oh, I love you like that. And then I realized you don't even use notes or a podium. Mark, I love you. Do you think? See, the thing is, is everybody in the room is equally loved the same. And that should be freeing. To those of us who tithe, he doesn't love you because you tithe. He loved you when you ripped him off. To those of us who would never touch a cigarette, he loved you when you were stone cold drunk. And he doesn't love you anymore today. And so maybe sitting on the side of the bank was this thought. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And I think a lot of times what we do and call love is we're just afraid we'll be punished. He'll be mad at me. The devil will get me. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And then you realize what's going on on this bank. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you. I left my business. I, 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 I walked on water. I, I, I swam to you. I, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I love you. I love you. I love you. What more? You hurt my feelings here. I love you. And maybe what Jesus was trying to get him is, why'd you swim to me? I, why, why, why did you swim? Maybe because Peter wanted him to know, I love you. And maybe what Jesus wanted him to know is this, you can't even love me unless I've loved you first. You can't even love me, Peter, unless I love you first. So every time he says to Peter, do you love me? Imagine, if you will, a son of God that is resurrected with the holes in his wrists and his feet and the scars across his head and the scars across his back. And he's the one standing at the beach that day at breakfast. And he goes, hey, boy, do you love me? And he's soaking wet. I love you. I'm soaking wet. I'm out of breath. I just swam. But the guy that's talking to him has all the scars and the holes. And the guy talking to him is like, good, you, you, you love me, right? You love me, right? You love me, right? Right. You, you love me. And the whole time he's hooked in proving his love, there's proof that before you swam, I loved you. And I think the way I'd like to end the year is stop trying to earn it from him. If you tithe, you tithe because he loves you. Not to get his love. If you serve, it's not to make me happy. Because preachers can guilt trip you. And, oh my God, you don't even serve. Well, you got to serve. How dare you be saved and not even serve. Everybody that loves the Lord should serve. 
That's good, but you end up serving out of fear of punishment. You end up serving to be liked by people versus I just serve because he loves me. My mother's on the front row. She's 82. My brother was in a horrible automobile accident, hit by a drunk driver head on. And short story, we almost lost him. Uh, They said he's probably not going to make it. He's going to be brain damaged the rest of his life. And the end of the story is God brought him through miraculously, and he's totally fine today. We just did Christmas with him yesterday. But last year, my mother, 82 years old, got in her little Toyota and would drive to Believer's Church. And my mom would come up the steps and go into the foyer. And with nobody knowing, she got no accolades, she got no t-shirt. We didn't take pictures of her and go, look at mom serving. My mother would walk into the hospitality closet and get the mop and get the spray. And as only mother could do, she would walk around the foyer and she would go into the restrooms and clean all your pee and all your trash. And you would hear her humming. And I came down one day and I said, Mom, you're 82. What are you doing here? we got plenty of people that can clean the foyer. And her words to me was, no, this is what I do for God. And I said, well, you don't have to do it. Her words, no, I do it because I realize it's my way to say thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for what you've done for my son. Not motivated out of guilt, not motivated to prove it, not motivated so we could put her on Instagram and go, old woman serving, so should the rest of you. If an 82-year-old can serve, you young people should be down here. Hashtag Instagram old people, Jesus loves them. She wasn't an Instagram opportunity. She wasn't a let's motivate other people. It was motivated because I know how much he loved me. Because he rescued my son, and I will die serving him. And she told me that, and I I even said to her, I thought, well, when I get old, I hope that's what motivates me, that I do it because I'm thankful, not fearful. I do it because I give my money because I'm thankful, not because I'm fearful. I tithe because I'm thankful, not because I think he'll get me. I come to church because I'm thankful. I want to show up and worship Him and just say, thank you. I'm not here because I feel like the preacher will be mad if I don't show up. I read my Bible as a way to go, thank you for giving me a letter that I could read and know about you. Not, oh my God, if you don't, the devil's out there waiting on you on 285. He'll get you. I mean, I hope I'm making a point. I don't want to belabor it and get old with it, but I want you to go into the new year. You don't earn it from Him. There's nothing you can do to earn him loving you more. Get your cigarettes down. He loves you the same. Stop cussing. Loves you the same. Quit looking at porn. Loves you the same. He loves you as much as he can love you before you do a thing for him. And it's knowing that he loves me that motivates me to stop the porn and to begin to give more and serve more because it's my way to say thank you for loving me so much. And now my life is different, but it's not different out of fear. It's different out of thankfulness. And I think maybe Jesus on the shore that day was like, Peter, man, are you fearful I don't love you? 
Are you, do you think by swimming to me it's going to make me love you more? Peter, 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 do you love me? Jesus, I love you. Okay, I'm asking, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Kids, you hurt my feelings. Okay, I'm glad you know you love me, but do you know I love you? Before you even swim, here's the thought and the conclusion. Maybe what Jesus wants from us is to simply know how much he loves us. Not should I read my Bible, should I tithe, should I go to church. All of that will happen when you know how much he loves you. But it happens naturally rather than fearfully. Then whether you swim or row, you do it with passion rather than fear of punishment. And I would love as you go into the future of 2022 that you would go in knowing there's nothing I can do in 2022 that's going to make him love me any more than he does now. But I tell you what I'm going to do in 2022, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm passionately thankful. And whether I have to row the boat or I swim, I'm going to do it with passion. And I'm going to be thankful. And every time I put an offering in the basket, it will be my sign to say, thank you for loving me. And every time I take communion, thank you for loving me. And every time I come in the door to sit and listen and participate, thank you for loving me. Because I settled, I'm loved. Here's the communion today. Love him because he first loved you. And then your passions and actions for him. And they'll be all over the place because we're all different in our levels of maturity. But wherever you are, it will be your way of saying thank you for loving me. Stand in, let me pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 